Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We're glad that you've joined us for this show. And the purpose of our show is to discuss Mormon polygamy and their teachings and compare it with biblical doctrine. And if you or anyone that you know is in a polygamy group and would like to get out or would like to just talk about getting out, give us a call because we do help people who want to escape polygamy. We provide safe talk, safe conversation about it, and we also <clears throat> provide a safe escape. We will help you leave and we will provide everything that you need after you leave. And everything that we do and talk about is held strictly confidential. We do have a toll-free number and that number is 877 877- 4259993 Now if you want to make any comments about our show or uh, talk to us about it you can give us a call or you can email us our email address is email at whatloveisthis.tv and our telephone call or telephone number for the show is 385-240-2888 and that number is for comments and questions about our show and now I would like to introduce our special co-host, special. guest co-host. Your special one. <laughs> Your special one. You're always special every time you co-host uh, with us, Earl Erskine. Thanks uh, for having me. The host of Ex-Mormon Files. Yes. Which yeah. um, is also shown on a weekly basis, too. Yes, posted on uh, Roku and on ExMormonFiles.com. Thank right. you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Mormons and polygamists have several explanations of why Mormon pioneers practice polygamy. One myth that I hear about on a regular basis as I grew up in polygamy uh, home, and also even today, is that polygamy is called a higher law, and only a person who is close to God can possibly understand it, and that those who live polygamy must put aside jealousy and personal needs in order to live this higher law righteously. The ability to accomplish this is one of the things that makes it a higher law, or so they claim. In polygamy, women are required to obey and serve their husbands without question or explanation. And if she's faithful in this, she earns a position with her husband in the celestial kingdom. Her eternal destination depends upon keeping the principle or this higher law of plural marriage. Now, for many polygamists, a man must have at least three wives in order to enter the celestial kingdom, which is the highest heaven of the highest heaven. And because Joseph Smith referred to the Bible and to biblical characters as the foundation for his polygamy, we should be able to go to that Bible and find where God commanded it, as Joseph Smith claimed he did. So we can go to the Bible Or I should ask the question, can we go to the Bible? Can you go to the Bible and find where Abraham and others had multiple wives? But can you can you find where God commanded it, where God actually told Abraham and Jacob and David and Solomon and the others to take plural wives? Can you find where Joseph Smith gets the information from the Bible that polygamy is necessary for eternal exaltation as he taught? 
Claiming the Bible is missing many plain and precious things is not the answer to this question because it was from the Bible that Joseph Smith used the Old Testament prophets as his example for polygamy. So we must also use the Bible to prove what Joseph Smith taught was from the Bible. And we should not depend on Joseph Smith alone for the doctrine of polygamy. And certainly not Joseph Smith plus Brigham Young plus John Taylor plus Warren <laughs> Jeffs plus Eldon Kingston and all the others. But we must go further back to the very place Joseph Smith went to find the divine source of the polygamy that he taught was there. Joseph Smith made a great claim when he called polygamy a higher law. There are many, many laws in the Bible, but can we find where polygamy is that higher law? Let's go to what Joseph Smith wrote a scripture to the Mormons about Abraham's polygamy. We'll start with section 132. Very famous uh, <laughs> section 132. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines, God commanded Abraham, and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law. Okay, now he calls it the law right now. Yeah. It isn't here that he calls it the higher law, but we just are told that from, from the moment we start learning polygamy, it's a higher law. Yeah. Now, Joseph Smith claimed that God had justified these Old Testament men for having wives and concubines, and yet the Book of Mormon condemns these same men for living polygamy. Here? Joseph Smith justifies it. So let's go back to the place in the Bible that Joseph Smith went to and that he is using and discover if God commanded Abraham to live polygamy as Joseph Smith said he did. Yeah, pay attention to these words particularly. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Genesis 16:5 says, And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. So we can see in those verses that God did not <laughs> command no, this to happen at all. Even Joseph Smith's own translation of the Bible did not make changes to this passage. There is no biblical record that Abraham married Hagar, and he produced only one child with Hagar, but that's not marriage, much less <laughs> celestial marriage. So we challenge our polygamous viewers to check this out for yourselves. Your present life and your eternity depends on what you do with the teachings of Joseph Smith. It's important to check him out and prove or disprove what he taught will get you into heaven. Let's read some more from section 132. David's wives and concubines were given unto him of me by the hand of Nathan, my servant, and other of the prophets who had the keys of this power. Now, I find this interesting because he says they had the keys yeah. to this power. But there's not one passage anywhere in the Bible that Nathan or any other prophet had any keys to authorize polygamy. 
So if this is true, both the King James Version and Joseph Smith's version of the Bible should have evidence of it, but neither of them do. Check it out. Now, King David did have several wives. In fact, eight wives are named in Scripture. It also indicates that he had ten concubines, which may or may not include his wives. But after his adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband ordered, uh, killed in battle, David repented, but only after God had disciplined David for disobeying Deuteronomy 17, 17, forbidding the king to take multiple wives. So in his in his conviction of what he had done and bringing up to his repentance, we read from 2 Samuel chapter 12. You know, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me, and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And so we read where the conviction comes and David's recognition of his sin and his repentance and his forgiveness yeah. is right here. Now, God had told David that right before his own eyes, someone close to him would sexually assault the women in his harem and that he would do it in broad daylight, not in secret like David had done with Bathsheba. And this was done by David's son Absalom. He sexually assaulted all of his father's concubines in public. And you can read all about this sordid affair in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Later, when the kingdom was reestablished to David and he returned to Jerusalem, this is what David did about his harem. Interesting. Yes, in chapter 20, when David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to take care of the palace and put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but did not lie with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. Living as widows. Yeah. David repented. Psalm 51 records David's prayer of repentance. It's an awesome psalm. You should go and read it sometime if you feel like you'd repent to God and truly uh, receive his uh, Jesus and his gospel. But he repented and he turned away from polygamy. That's what repentance means. David put away his wives, this passage tells us, which means they were retired. He provided for them until their death, but he had nothing more to do with them as wives because he had repented from polygamy. This left Bathsheba as David's only acknowledged wife. She is the only wife mentioned of David after this. David had no more sexual relations with those wives and concubines. Now, his heart was right before God, and so the scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He had sinned, but he had repented and was forgiven. And contrary to polygamous and Joseph Smith's claims that, no, um, that there's no record anywhere in the Bible, contrary to what 
Joseph Smith and the polygamist claim there is no record in the Bible that David ever took Saul's wives, and that's a big contention both with Mormons I've and polygamists. Yeah. Uh, but they can't. The mention is made that he could have taken the wives uh, because he was given the house of Saul, which means he was given the kingdom. Uh, Saul was king, and then David came in, became king afterwards. And so, as his position of king, he was in a position to take. Uh, Saul's wives and concubines, but there's no place in the scripture where it shows that David took those wives and concubines, and he didn't. None of these stories that Joseph Smith makes reference to bear witness that polygamy is a law or a higher law. Then and now, multiple wives just cause multiple pain and problems. We quote, from a book entitled Mormon Polygamy by Richard uh, Van Wagner. X Van Wagner is a wonderful book about the history of Mormon polygamy. And we have a quote from page 93. A prominent visitor to Salt Lake City in 1880 commented on the ability of polygamous wives to maintain appearances. She observed that Mormon women viewed polygamy as a religious duty and schooled themselves to bear its discomforts as a sort of religious penance. And it was a matter of pride to make everybody believe they lived happily and persuade themselves and others that it was not a trial and that long life of such discipline makes the trial lighter. Now, this is interesting, you know, because we can talk to women, not only reading the diaries of early Mormon polygamous women, but also today's polygamous women. They will, they will hold to polygamy to their dying breath. And this kind of explains why they do, because it was a matter of pride to every one of Even them. Even though they're suffering and going through these trials, mm -hmm. they're... Yeah, unwilling to admit to that. They they put up that facade that yeah. we're happy. They're doing this is a penance God has required us to do. So you know we'll do it and and we'll we'll, we'll pretend like we're happy yeah. even though there's unimaginable pain mm. and inner conflict going on in their own heart inside of them. And often they can't talk about it to anyone, uh, especially not their husband, mm. and especially not to other people who they've got to put on this happy face. And if they do say something to somebody, do they kind of feel, the others feel obligated to pass it along to the leaders? Well, they would. They would this person's the, being a little rebellious. A sister wife would tell the husband. And, this is being and, and, and I'm not saying that some people don't have confidants, because I'm sure that goes on yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, but to be able to just talk about it, they would not, not be able not to do freedom. that. Yeah. Um, on page 90 of... Um, of uh, Mormon polygamy, we have another quote. Mormons nearly always entered polygamy because they believed it was essential to their salvation that God required it of them. And you know, I hear so many people today, Earl, and I'm sure that you get this, being a former Mormon, that they do not believe this. They do not believe that polygamy was ever essential for salvation. That, that it was a requirement that only a few people had to do it. and, you mean and only mainstream Mormonism? In the, in the early Mormon church, they do not believe. Oh. I've, I've, I've had arguments with people who say, no, they didn't have to do it. Only a few people do it. The leadership and certain people did it. Not everybody had to live polygamy. And yet, it's all over the Mormon history that they were taught they had yeah. to live it in order to get to celestial kingdom. Well, we believed that we were going to live it, but that the wife had the right of first refusal. And mm -hmm. so I didn't know if I was actually going to get to live polygamy in heaven <laughs> yeah. uh, or have to, uh, depending on what Carla said. Right. But uh, in, 
in Mormonism now, mainstream Mormonism, I don't know that they sense that idea that it is essential for their salvation. Or that it was then. Or that it was then. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but, but the thing, the point is that is with salvation, with eternal life, what gets you into heaven a hundred years ago is the same thing that gets you heaven, heaven, into heaven today, in, or a thousand years ago. In truth ago. and reality. That's right. right, in, in reality, yeah. exactly. What, it doesn't change. And what did Jesus ever say about... Uh, uh, Jesus, and he's the how, Savior. Yeah, the how. Savior knows how we get saved. Yeah. So it was it essential? Yeah, it was essential. They were told that it was, and they still are in polygamy groups today. Almost every woman and many of the men today would not practice polygamy if they knew beyond a doubt that God never commanded it and doesn't require it. And the reality, that that very truth is one of the reasons that we do this show, hoping to stir up the intelligence and the curiosity of polygamous viewers to search out and discover that God did not command you to live polygamy. You can and you should reject it. Don't rely on feelings or on Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or <laughs> your own polygamy group leadership, or your family for confirmation about polygamy because that's the wrong source. Go way back further to the Old Testament to the place Joseph Smith claimed polygamy was commanded and required and find out if it's really there. If you do that, you will discover that Joseph Smith misrepresented what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've always offered this book. It's called, Is Polygamy Biblical? Uh, we would be happy to send it to anyone who wants to call or email us asking for it. And it answers your questions about Old Testament polygamy. It has a lot of good references in there, and it answers many, many questions about that. So be, feel free to contact us for that book. We'll send it to you for free, absolutely free. Now, John Taylor taught that a Mormon man, and here's, a, here's one for you, Earl, uh, a, a Mormon man who was not a polygamist could not serve in leadership position yeah, in surprising. the early Mormon church. So, of course, again, there's a good change going on here. Yeah. Um, again, from Mormon quote, Polygamy, page 97, a man obeying the lower law is not qualified to preside over those who keep a higher law. In 1884, John Taylor reported another revelation which urged monogamists to resign ecclesiastical offices in the church. So you can see the pressure that was put on to people. You couldn't serve in a leadership position yeah. if you uh, were not a polygamist. And so, of course, that's not true no. in today's Mormon church. No, so they've isn't. got a God that changes. <laughs> Wilford Woodruff observed this, we quote, The reason why the church and the kingdom of God cannot advance without the patriarchal order of marriage is that it belongs to this dispensation just as baptism for the dead does, or any other law and ordinance that belongs to a dispensation. Without it, the church cannot progress. The leading men who are presiding over stakes will have to obey the law of Abraham or they will have to resign. And that's basically what the other quote was. Yeah. If you're going to be a leader in the church, you, you must live polygamy or resign. Now, patriarchal order of marriage means polygamy. Uh, and of course, that's the higher law yeah. that we have been talking about that Joseph Smith said it was. And we have another quote from Mormon polygamy. Contemporary diary and letter accounts of polygamous relationships generally present a less than glowing picture of polygamy. 
positive testimonials are almost are most often seen in public or retrospective accounts. Church members recognizing that the eyes of the world were upon them may have been inclined to put forth a sanitized storybook polygamy publicly rather than portraying the real hardships involved in trying to live the practice. No, he's bringing that down to earth. He's yeah. really bringing the reality of that to it. So publicly, they were encouraged not to say anything that was negative about polygamy, but privately they hated it. Now, I would like to bring that up to a contemporary uh, illustration. Think sister wives. When the yeah. when the camera is going, the sister wives make it look like, oh, we're, we work everything out. Everything is, is oh, wonderful. All sitting on the couch together. Yeah, and hugging each other. All of them hugging each other. But yeah. when the cameras are turned off, there's a lot of <laughs> sadness. There's a lot going on and tears that we never will see. And that's exactly what early Mormon was, according to Richard Van Wagner. Po polygamy can't possibly be a higher law. How could a higher law cause so much pain and so much jealousy and heartbreak and resentment? God doesn't work that way. We were taught that when Moses received the Ten Commandments, God also gave this higher law of polygamy at that same time. But when Moses came down from the mountain and saw all the revelry and idolatry going on with the Israelites that we read about in Exodus chapter 32, they taught that Moses became angry and he threw the stone tablets to the ground where they broke to pieces. And because of their unfaithfulness, the Israelites lost their right <laughs> to participate in this higher law of polygamy. Now, that's what we were taught. And we were taught that when Moses went back to receive the Ten Commandments the second time, God withheld this higher law of polygamy from them because they had proven unworthy to accept it. Now, could that be true? Well, the Bible has the answers to all heresy. And so we're going to go to two places. There's more than this, but we're going to quote two places from the Bible. From Exodus 34, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So see, we got right there yeah. that what was on the first is, is what's going to be on the second. Yeah. And Deuteronomy 5.22 says, These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Okay, so... There were Ten Commandments given the first time. Yeah. He wrote the same thing on the second time. He added nothing more on the second time. So we've got two verses that say the same thing in different words. Nothing was added or removed. There was no higher law. Polygamy was not part of the original Ten Commandments like the polygamists teach. Mm. The Bible is a book of history. Stories about people who made huge mistakes showing their need of a Savior. That's why Jesus came to do for us what we can never do for ourselves and what polygamy can never do either. And logically, why would a higher law of polygamy need to be given along with the Ten Commandments when earlier patriarchs practiced it before the Ten Commandments were given <laughs> and true. practiced it after the Ten Commandments were given? That's all moot. But we have a very interesting passage about the law. Yeah. And we're going to take it from Galatians in the New Testament. And there are actually very many of them, but Galatians 3, 23 through 25. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners 
prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now that's very, very yeah. telling yes. to all religions who have all these laws that they, that they want their members to follow. If polygamy was part of God's Old Testament law, how can it lead us to Christ? Like this passage says, actually, it drives people away from God, not to Him. Polygamy never led a soul to Jesus. And what is so important is verse 25, which tells us that once we have been justified by faith in Jesus, we are no longer under the law. Now that faith has come, it said, we are no longer under the supervision of the law, which means that if polygamy was a higher law, <laughs> It doesn't matter because once we exercise faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are no longer subject to any law. That's right. This means That's that right. all polygamists can completely reject polygamy and all the pain that goes with it and turn to Jesus alone for their salvation. It's that simple. The higher law is not polygamy. It is love and grace. When we recognize and accept God's free gift of salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus alone. The Holy Spirit gives us the desire and the power to obey God. We don't need polygamy to change us because it's God who does that. And the greatest commandment is not one that he withheld from Moses, but is the one that Jesus proclaimed as being the greatest. And these are so simple, really. I mean, yes. so beautiful. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So these are the two greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. And if it had been polygamy, as Joseph Smith claimed, then Jesus would have said so right here. And in John 1.17, uh, it tells us that the law came uh, through Moses, but grace... Uh, and truth came through, through Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. So Jesus came with grace and truth, not with law. And it overrules, grace overrules every law except the law of love. The law leads us to acknowledge our deep need for mercy and forgiveness. When we accept God's grace, then we are under his umbrella of unconditional grace where no perceived law has any dominion over us at all and forever. So there can be no higher law of polygamy at all. Unconditional grace. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. It is. You know, it's interesting too, uh, almost done, but um, just this whole concept of dispensations, that's what Wilfred Woodruff was saying. About, the dispensation, about right. That, and, and that this was special and different, mm -hmm. and it never is because God's the same God's always. God's the same all the time. Yeah. Jesus said, be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But you know what? Religions say God will never tell us to do what he doesn't give us the power to do. Since he said to be perfect, then it's possible to be perfect. But if you've sinned just once, you've blown it. A perfect person can never sin. And a sinner can never be perfect because he's already imperfect. That's why we need to have perfection as a gift. Jesus was perfect, and his perfect life is given 
to us. When we repent, which means we turn and do it God's way, we are forgiven and we are cleansed from all of our sin. And then we receive all the righteousness of Jesus Christ by grace and as a gift. Works can never make us perfect, especially the works of polygamy. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.